You are listening to the Amateur Church Podcast, where we pursue excellence in ministry with the right motivation for the sake of love. I'm Pastor Matt, and I'm so thankful that you are on this disciples journey with me. As we've been reading through the Old Testament this year, we are now in week 34 of this year, and that means that we are reading more of the minor prophets, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, and Habakkuk. Yes, five different books this one week. And so we've got a lot to do, uh, especially today as uh, Mondays are always our theology days. What can we learn about God? What can we learn about mankind? And what can we learn about our relationship with God through Jesus Christ? I want to simply remind you about the purpose of the Amateur Church Podcast. We exist as a call for everyone who is tired of church being a programmed organization. You see, the the word amateur simply means to love what you do. And I want to be an amateur, at least in the sense that how I lead, preach, and serve is based on love. First, I want my love for Jesus Christ to be my motivation, and then my love for others, including you, to help me in my study of the Word to shepherd you well and to steward this great Word of God every single day. Uh, Again, this is not a push to become lazy or unskilled in my ability or your ability, but I actually believe that when we get back to being amateurs, loving Christ and loving each other and loving His Word, we will see a greater excellence in our lifestyle. So thank you for joining me as we are going through these five books of the Minor Prophets, or what we saw last week as the Book of the Twelve. Uh, These are the next five books. Uh, We want to look at what they mean and how they apply to our lives today. So I'm going to try to sum up each book uh, really today, and then we're going to walk through uh, them this week uh, based on devotion questions, evangelism, apologetics, and then how we worship uh, them. And so uh, I'm going to give an overview of each one. Some will be shorter than the other because uh, than, than others because we might focus a particular day on, uh, for, for instance, the book of Jonah. I can already tell you we're going to look at evangelism from the book of Jonah, so I won't spend much time on that today. But let's go ahead and jump in. Uh, we start with one of the shorter books of the Bible, uh, the book of Obadiah. It is only one chapter, 21 verses, and yet there is so much in here. Obadiah means servant of Yahweh. And the date that most scholars uh, ascribe to it is uh, most likely 587 to 586 BC. So at the fall of uh, Judah, when they're going, finally, when they're going into captivity in Babylon. And Obadiah is actually a vision uh, to Obadiah or of Obadiah concerning Edom. So it's not even to Israel or Judah. It's actually about Edom. And this is what makes it unique. It uh, it has everything to do with uh, this uh, kins, uh, kinsman or kin group of Israel. Edom comes from Esau. And so in order to understand this particular vision, you've got to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 25, verse 23, and understand the strife between Edom or Esau and Israel or Jacob. Listen to Genesis 25, 23 as God speaks to uh, to uh, Rebekah, the mother of, uh, of Jacob and Esau. He says, uh, verse 23, The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples will be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. And this began uh, a, a, 
a, a competition and jealousy between uh, Jacob and Esau. And we know from the book of Genesis, we studied this earlier this year, how that continued uh, and, and grew them apart. And there was a time of restoration between Jacob and Esau, but the Edomites and Israel uh, didn't reconcile. In fact, there was insensitivity during the Exodus when, when Israel left Egypt and wandered through the wilderness and they were going into the promised land. When you look at the book of Numbers uh, and you see in Numbers chapter 20, it's a time in which Edom, uh, the Edomites, could have helped helped. Uh, the Israelites out. But listen to this in, in Numbers chapter 20, uh, verse 14. It says, uh, From Kadesh, Moses then sent messengers to the king of Edom. Thus your brother Israel has said, You know all the hardship that has befallen us, that our fathers went down to Egypt and we stayed in Egypt a long time. And then it says in verse 16, But when we cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice, sent an angel and brought us out from Egypt. Now behold, we are at Kadesh, a town on the edge of your ter territory. Please let us pass through your land. Uh, we will go along the king's highway, not turning to the right or left until we pass. Verse 18 says, Edom, however, said to him, You shall not pass through us, or I will come out with the sword against you. And in verse 21, Thus Edom refused to allow Israel to pass through his territory, so Israel turned away from him. And so we see this insensitivity. We see this pain. Uh, between these two neighboring and and should have been brothers uh, of of nations, and it actually turns into hatred. When you read the book of Amos that we read last week, Amos chapter one verse eleven, listen to these words: "Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not revoke its punishments, because he pursued his brother with the sword when he stifled his compassion." His anger also tore continually, and he maintained his fury forever. So there was uh, terrible uh, competition, jealousy, insensitivity, and hatred among them. So what we see in verses 1 through 16 is the destruction, in Obadiah 1 through 16, the destruction of Edom. God says, arise and let us go against her for battle. And, and one of the things I want to bring out in this is what Edom was actually guilty of. And for us to be aware of that, even in our own lives, because you may think, man, Edom treated Israel terribly. Uh, and whether they felt justified in that or not, I, I want to ask you, how do you treat your brother? Think, think through this. So he's guilty of pride. Verse 3 says, The arrogance of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in the loftiness of your dwelling place, who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to earth? Though you build high like the eagle, though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. God goes after their pride. Verse 7, All the men allied with you will send you forth to the border, and the men at peace with you will deceive you and overpower you. Uh, they who eat your bread will set an ambush for you. There is no understanding in him. There's betrayal. Verse 10, Because of violence to your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame, and you will be cut off forever. Violence. Then in verse 12, they said, Wait a second. Violence... Uh, what did they do to to Jacob or to, to Judah? Well, listen to verse 12. Do not gloat over your brother's day, the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the sons of Judah in the day of their destruction. Yes, do not boast in their day of distress. This 
pro progress of oppression. They did nothing to help Israel in the midst of their time going into captivity. They rejoiced over uh, their situation. They took advantage of the situation. Look at verse 13. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their disaster. Yes, you do not gloat over their calamity in the day of their disaster. Do not loot their wealth in the day of their disaster. They stole from their brother after rejoicing in pain. And then verse 14 they prevented anyone from helping. Do not stand at the fork of the road to cut down their fugitives. Do not imprison their survivors in the day of their distress. And finally, verse 16 says, Because just as you drank on my holy mountain, all the nations will drink continually. They will drink, drink and swallow and become as if they had never existed. They had a drunken celebration in the day of Judah's captivity. And you may be thinking right now, well, I've never uh, committed violence against someone, but when you rejoice over their pain, when you steal from them in their wondering, and when you celebrate what's going on uh, in, in a brother or sister or a church member's struggle, you are guilty just like Edom. And, and so this is a harsh, harsh thing that they had done, and God says, I will have wrath against you. But we also see the restoration of Israel. And this is what you're going to see throughout the Minor Prophets. There is time of destruction. There is time of pain for Israel and Judah. But there's time of restoration. Uh, we see the justice of God in verse 17. He says, But on Mount Zion there will be those who escape, and it will be holy. And the house of Jacob will possess their possessions. We see God's mercy. Uh, in, he he uh, shows them that uh, the, the exiles will possess their cities, and the deliverers will ascend Mount Zion. And ultimately, in verse 21, it says, And the kingdom will be the Lord's. There will be the glory given to God. So this book of Obadiah, although it's 21 verses, theologically it is so powerful and deep in this understanding that when when a nation that was related to Israel came against them and rejoiced over Israel's suffering, God sends his wrath upon Edom. And, and we must remember that. We move to the book of Jonah. Uh, that probably is the one you're most familiar with this week. Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Jonah is probably the most familiar one because he's the one that gets swallowed by the big fish uh, and on his uh, uh, running away from a missionary journey. And then he goes and preaches to the Ninevites, repent. And God does end up saving Nineveh at least for a particular time. Well, Jonah, the word means dove or pigeon. And most likely, this is between 780 and 770 B.C. So I want you to see the difference even in where they're put. Obadiah and Jonah are put in the Old Testament. Obadiah is in the late 7th century, uh, six, uh, or late 6th century, uh, 580 B.C., 587 B.C. But Jonah is put in the late 8th century, the 780 to 770. So they are not organized based on time. Jonah is, uh, is uh, earlier in time, and he's preaching to the uh, the Ninevites uh, in Assyria, uh, and did not want to, but God God got a hold of him, and so the theme of Jonah is really of obedience to God and um, and a love for God's people or love for those who follow God, uh, and so we're going to uh, 
Um, we're going to look at that mainly on Thursday as we look at evangelism. But ultimately, I want you to see from Jonah that Christ is the greater Jonah. Where Jonah failed, Christ is greater in his love for people and his obedience to the Father. So now we move on to Micah. Micah is one of my favorite books. Micah, the name, means who is like Yahweh. But uh, while Micah dates from 735 to 700 B.C., he's going to talk a lot about judgment of Judah and Israel, Jerusalem and Samaria. This is one of those books that speaks to both nations. And uh, you're, you're going to see in the book of Micah seven chapters, but one major question. What does God require? And so in, in Micah, probably one of the most famous verses, Micah's uh, verse Six, uh, chapter 6, verse 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Uh, take, this, take this verse and apply it to what we just talked about in Obadiah. That's one thing the Edomites did not do. Take it and apply it to Jonah. That's one thing he got indicted for not doing, walking humbly and loving kindness and doing justice. And so uh, God had to get a hold of Jonah. Well, we see this in the book of Micah too. Uh, you see the judgment of Judah and Israel. Uh, God's going to talk against the nations, and then he's going to promise that Assyria comes against Judah in chapter 1, verse 9. And then uh, we see prophecy fulfilled. Chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, I want you to kind of write these down and, and follow through because it helps you historically see where we're at. Uh, chapter 1, verse 6 through 7 talks about the fall of Samaria in 722 B.C. Listen to these words. Micah chapter 1, verse 6 says, For I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the open country, planting places for a vineyard. I will pour her stones down into the valley and will lay bare her foundations. All of her idols will be smashed. Well, that took place when Samaria uh, fell in 722 BC. That was the fall of Israel. Then we see the invasion of Judah in 702 BC. Uh, chapter 1 verse uh, 9 um, says, for her wound is incurable, for it has come to Judah. It has reached the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. And so there's uh, there's historically evidence for that that backs that up. But then ultimately we see just uh, 120 years later, almost in 586 BC, the fall of Jerusalem. Look at Micah chapter 3, verse 12, as it, uh, as it speaks of this and, and prophesies this. Therefore, on account of you, Zion will be plowed as a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the temple will, be, will become high places of a forest. And so uh, Micah prophesied that, that that will take place, and it did in 586. Uh, we see in chapter 4, verse 10, the result of that. Uh, writhe and labor to give birth, daughter of Zion, like a woman in childbirth. For now you will go out of the city, dwell in the field, and go to Babylon. There you will be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. So what we see is a promise, uh, first of captivity in Babylon in 586. Again, 140 years almost before 
uh, it took place. Micah is promising that, prophesying that. But then we also have the promise that they would return from captivity in chapter 4. And then uh, Micah chapter 7 verse 11 says, It will be a day for building your walls. On that day will be your will your boundary be extended. Uh, verse 14, Shepherd your people with the scepter, the flock of your possession, which dwells by itself in the woodland. In the midst of a fruitful field, let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. As in the days when you came out from the land of Egypt, I will show you miracles. And so we see just a beautiful promise that 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 God was going to restore them. And so prophecy was fulfilled. We also see a greater prophecy of a future kingdom of peace, Jerusalem, the city of peace. He says in uh, chapter 4, verse 1, listen to this. It will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and the many and the peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, and this is our memory verse for the week, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us about his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So we have the promise of a future city of peace, Jerusalem, a future king of peace. Uh, chapter 5, verse 1 says, Now muster yourselves in the troops, daughter of troops. They have laid siege against us with a rod. They will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, for from you will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. We know that we can worship Jesus Christ as that King of peace. But ultimately, we do see repentance demanded. Um, though there are prophecies of 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 God's glory, our responsibility is to do what God has called us to do to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with our gods. And the reassurance is that he will forgive us and conquer our sins. Look at Micah 7 verse 18. It says, who is a God like you? That's what the word name Micah means. Who is like Yahweh? Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity, passes over the rebellious acts of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in un changing love. I love this book because it's a reminder for us that the uh, the Old Testament minor prophets are not just doom and gloom, but they are books of hope for us. And Micah leads us now into a discussion on Nahum. And Nahum, I love the name Nahum, it means comforter. And that's what we see. Many people look at minor prophets and they say, oh, it's terrible. No, there is comfort. And the date is between 663 and 612 B.C. Hey, uh, and it actually talks about the fall of Nineveh. Now, think about this. Jonah was about 150 years prior to the book of Nahum. And Jonah uh, preached repentance. And you had several times and several generations that were able to live because they repented for a while. But ultimately, Nineveh fell. Why? Because they disobeyed God. And God tells them in this small book uh, of, of Nahum, we only have three chapters. But it's going to be a book that reminds us that uh, that God is a jealous God. Listen to Nahum chapter 1, verse 2. 
It says, a jealous and avenging God is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. And then notice the mercy of God, the character of God. Uh, It says, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. So we see that he is a jealous God, but he is also a patient God. God doesn't just respond in quick temperament, uh, in a quick temper. He responds with love. And he he promised in Nahum chapter 3, listen to this, verse 15, Their fire will consume you. The sword will cut you down. It will consume you as the locust does. Multiply yourself like the creeping locust. Multiply yourself like the swarming locust. There would come a destruction, complete destruction. But God allowed them time to repent. Why? Because he's a jealous God. He's a patient God. But listen, he is a righteous God. When we read Nahum, Nahum chapter 1 verse 15 says this, Behold, on the mountains the feet of him who bring good news, who announces peace. Celebrate your feast, O Judah. And so there's celebration because our God is righteous and he is good. Verse 7 says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. This is a promise for us that, yes, while God brings wrath, he also brings comfort. Remember, that's what the name Nahum means. He is jealous, he is patient, he is righteous, but he is merciful. He is the comfort to those who trust in him. And that's that's a reminder of all of these, uh, all these Old Testament prophets that they give us. Wrath is coming, judgment is coming, but joy and comfort is coming if we trust in the Lord. We close out our fifth with our fifth Old Testament prophet today uh, in in this theological journey, uh, and the book is Habakkuk. Now, Habakkuk may be a book that you've not really focused on. It's a short three-chapter book, but one in which uh, God shows up and uh, really declares his uh, his wrath through the Babylonians uh and yet shows us uh, his his love for mankind, his love for his people, and a way of escape if they would lean on him. Um, there are so many great verses in the book of Habakkuk. Let me give you some uh, some context. Uh, the name means to embrace. Uh, that's what the word Habakkuk means. And it's dur- written during the time of Babylonian captivity, really from 605 B.C. to 587 B.C. And so it's during the first deportation to the third and final deportation to Babylon. So the the first fifteen uh, years or so, and uh, and notice how it opens. Notice what Habakkuk says: the oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw, uh, this burden. How long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you, violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? This is a question uh, that Habakkuk has. God, why is there a burden? Why do you show us our iniquity and the iniquity of of the enemies? I want to give you three major reasons for that theologically, because you may be asking, why did God send all these prophets? Why did God, uh, why would God do this? Twelve minor prophets that we've been studying, five this week. Uh, Why? What's the point? Well, number one, I think to keep us humble, 
to remind us that we are not great. We are actually small. We are actually worms when it comes to holiness. We are sinful, wretched creatures without Jesus Christ to show us our own wickedness. Uh, Verse 5 says, Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days that you would not believe if you were told. And I've seen many rip this verse out of context and say, look at what God's going to do. Be amazed. And here's what God says. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, the fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. Um, at verse 11, then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on, but they will be held guilty, Those who, they whose strength is their God. God is showing, listen, I'm going to use the Babylonians to take you into captivity because you are sinful. And I'm also going to punish the Babylonians because of what they're going to do. I'm going to use them because they're going to do it anyway. And then I'm going to confront them and crush them. God can do this. Why? Because he is righteous, he is pure, but we are sinful. So it's to keep us humble. Why does God show us the iniquity throughout these minor prophets, especially Habakkuk? Second, to keep us pure and submissive to him, to lean on him. Um, as we see in the book of Habakkuk, um, you know, Habakkuk is, is, is sharing. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1, I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. And then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. Well, what does he mean by this? He says, Record the vision. See it. Then inscribe it. Speak it. And then apply it that the one who reads it may run. There are there are reasons that God allows us to see our own sin, to see that we need to walk in His truth. That's the only way we can stay pure with Him uh, as the water of the Word washes us and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, um, to show us the value of salvation. Um, I love uh, chapter 3 of Habakkuk. There are just so many things. He actually prays so many things that he brings up in this in this prayer. Listen to this. Um, he says, O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. And then he just prays to God. He says, God comes from Timon and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covers the heavens. The earth is full of his praise. His radiance is like the sunlight. And then at the very end, um, verse 18, Yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on my high places. I love these Old Testament books because they are reminders for us that God is good even in the midst of our sinfulness, and He brings salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. I know today was a lengthy episode, but as we covered five different books, I pray this week as you look forward to it and read it, that it would be one of comfort and encouragement, and that we would exalt Jesus Christ. I love you. I'm praying for you. Stakes in the grave. <music>